on Friday, November 23, 2018. Raid Faris, a Syrian revolutionary, citizen journalist, and civil society leader, was assassinated in northern Syria by masked militants suspected to be affiliated with Al-Qaeda. Raed was 46 years old. Hamoud Jnaid, who is a friend and a photographer working with Raed, also fell alongside him. The news came as a gut punch to myself and to many activists around the world. Raed was a friend and an inspiration and a teacher. If I am to speak about what Raed taught me, I wouldn't know where to begin and I wouldn't know where to stop. During the 2017 Oslo Freedom Forum, Raed started his speech by showing a video of the aftermath of one of Assad's massacres. A marketplace in the small town of Kafranbil in northern Syria was bombed. It's relatively easy for me to show you what happened, but it's almost impossible to describe the smell that hung over the marketplace after the massacre. A smell of dust, gunpowder, burned blood and flesh, and burned vegetables. Before 2011, Syria was a farm run by the Assad family. We weren't even slaves, we were animals. In 2011, we decided we don't want to be animals in Assad's farm anymore. We decided to live like human beings or to die trying. These were Raed's words. Raed was known to most activists interested in Syria or the wider Arab Spring, but he wasn't a household name. And unlike Jamal Khashoggi, another friend who we lost too soon, Raed did not have a column in the Washington Post and he wasn't a regular on political analysis shows or think tank panels. He normally introduced himself only as manager of Radio Fresh. Radio Fresh is a local radio station in Kaframbil in northern Syria. But should you talk to him about his work, the astounding scale and scope would become apparent soon enough. To say that Raed was a civil society leader would not do him justice. His work involved running society-run media centers, vocational training centers, children's development centers, therapy centers for teenagers, women's empowerment centers, volleyball and soccer leagues, medical centers, neighborhood parks, journalism training centers, as well as organizing regular protests in that little town of Kafranbil in northern Syria. To Ra'id, building civil society was the highest form of resistance against Assad. Ra'id said, Assad convinced the world and convinced us that Syria cannot exist without him. And what we did here was to prove that we can. We decided to guide our own destiny with our own hands. It is no wonder that Ra'id was hated by both Assad and the jihadists. Assad burned his organization's offices twice and bombed them twice. ISIS, on the other hand, raided their offices twice, and in January 2014, gunmen suspected to be from ISIS fired a hailstorm of bullets at Ra'id from close range, hitting him in the chest three times. Ra'id survived, but a few months later, Al-Qaeda's subsidiary in Syria had him arrested and tortured. It wouldn't be the last time Al-Qaeda tried to kidnap him. They arrested him again in January 2016. But this is a story that he says with pride. Because that time, immense popular pressure forced Al-Qaeda to release him and to issue an apology. To Ra'id, this was a moment of immense pride. I mean, a brutal terrorist group had to back down when faced with a strong society. Civil society was victorious over guns, is how Ra'id described it. It was also a moment of immense vindication of his deepest philosophy. A strong society, he believed, was the best bulwark against both tyranny and terrorism. Ra'id's philosophy 
was why he seemed far less concerned with military developments on the ground than you might think he was. In an interview with the Young Turks from 2017, he explained that the future that he truly cares about was the future of civil society. He said that an awakened society is the best and most stubborn form of resistance against both dictatorship and terrorism. If civil society keeps developing in the right direction, he said, the military situation will become far less important. If society is strong enough, tyranny has no chance. Ra'id knew that this was not a task that can be accomplished in a few years, especially after five decades of life under the Assads. What drove his optimism, perhaps, was his time horizon. In this interview, you hear him saying it outright. The chances that my generation will see a normal and free Syria are remote. It is for our children that we decided to rise. Ra'id never thought to leave Syria, even when he knew that he lived as a marked man who could be assassinated at any point. He traveled outside Syria from time to time, but he always returned to Kafrandal. To leave was absolutely unthinkable to him, because that's where his project and his life's work were, in Syria, building a civil society. Ra'id is gone, but the civil society infrastructure he built outlives him. So do countless young Syrians he has trained and empowered and inspired. The day after his funeral, the protests that he helped organize for five years were back. That time the banners read, Ra'id al-Hamoud, it may appear that they killed you, but you're still with us as an inspiration and a light of freedom. In that 2017 speech at Oslo, Ra'id drew an analogy between the French Revolution and the Syrian Revolution. He said, the French Revolution changed the face of Europe because it changed people on the inside. The Syrian Revolution, he said, will change the face of the Middle East because it's changing people on the inside and because revolution is an idea and no weapons can kill an idea. Don't let them tell you that there aren't any good guys in Syria. There are, but the world chooses to ignore them when they're alive, only to eulogize them after their death. Was it worth it to start a revolution against Assad and meet all of this destruction, he asked. Raid was there to tell us why it was, in his view, more than worth it. In this episode of the Arab Tyrant Manual, we talk to Ra'id about his philosophy of activism and we let him tell his own story. I am Ra'id Faris, founder of Radio Fresh and founder of the Union of Revolutionary Bureaus in Idlib, Syria. I want to talk about our region, us Arabs, before all the revolutions that occurred. We were basically a nation that did not know how to live. There were governments and factories for those governments to produce slaves. The government formed organizations and forced all the people into those organizations in order to produce more slaves for the dictator who sits at the top of the helm. Just like in Syria, we had the Pioneers of Bath Organization for Youth and the Revolution Youth Union for Teenagers and the Bath Party for Later Ages. All of these were factories to produce slaves. In Syria, for example, we started a revolution and we expected all this suppression and all of this violence because when people rise against a dictator, for sure he will burn down the country. Assad said that from the start. It's either Assad or he burns down the country. 
and he did burn down the country. The general perception from the outside is that Syria is unlivable. But when you come inside Syria, you feel like there is real life. There are people who are living. How were we able to produce this? We did not wait for the international community to pave the road for us. And we did not wait for the United Nations Security Council or any major power to pave our road. We took the initiative. We believed in ourselves and we believed in our people first and foremost. We were able to produce life from the death that Assad caused in Syria. We were able to live. We started a peaceful movement. After a while, a portion of the army defected and helped the revolutionaries to liberate some of the region. From there, we set off to build our society. So the idea was that we had a farm for Assad, a farm for the Assad family which remained for 50 years, and we were capable of tearing down that farm. So we decided to build our country with our own hands and it would truly be a home. The bricks we used to build with will be the citizens and the cement will be their citizenship. For that we started. We started by organizing ourselves first. Revolution is a change that starts with the self. We tried to evolve our team from the inside. We worked on changing our thinking, our vision of the future, and our vision of our new country. First, we change the team that is working on the ground, and then the whole team will work to change society. We started by offering social and environmental services to the regions we were living in. We worked on projects for electricity, and we were able to supply people with electricity. The regime cut off electricity, communications, and all life's necessities from all the liberated regions, and that forced us to look for alternatives. We provided an alternative source of electricity and supplied it to a geographical region that is not at all small. We also supplied drinking water and provided other services like road paving and maintenance. We also provided cleaning services. In addition to these services and the services that already existed, we had two strategies. The first was an awareness strategy. This started with a simple magazine consisting of one A4 paper that we called Al-Mantara. This was a daily magazine which then grew and became a magazine with monthly issues. We had a media center that produced old banners and posters that cover the protests, the airstrikes, and the destruction. From there, we set off with the idea of a local radio broadcast that airs on FM frequency to help people. Because there was no electricity, how would news travel? Even when warplanes take off for airstrikes, 
We had observatories with walkie-talkies, but walkie-talkies were expensive. The idea was to broadcast all the findings by the observatories to the people so they will have three or maybe four minutes to take precautions and head to bunkers and such. We had religious programs and programs for awareness, and we had social programs. We also had media. We had media center that fully trained 500 men and women, some of whom went on to become reputable journalists in other places and other news networks. We also have centers for women to help give them the required qualifications to build the society. As we know, after every revolution, women play a vital role in rebuilding the country because most of the deceased and the displaced are from the men. So most of society consists of women. So we should focus on women programs to give them the ability to build the dream Syria, the future Syria later on. We worked on many issues pertaining to children, including psychological aid and education to habilitate them, because children are the future. They are the reason for our revolution. And now we say that it's a revolution for our children. For sure, we're not going to reach the goals we aspire, but our children will reach. Since the 1982 revolution that happened in Syria, we always laid the blame on our fathers because they did not finish what they started. This made us carry the burden. If they had just continued to the end, they would have relieved us of this burden. We are also working with teenagers, ages 13 to 18, working on providing them with education and psychological aid, some of which is focused on physical health, and the others are mental health. All this work with teenagers is within centers that are spread throughout the suburb of Idlib. We are working to facilitate fields for sports. We focus a lot on sports. We have created many leagues, a league for volleyball, for example, that we sponsor and take care of all their expenses throughout the liberated region. We have a first division volleyball league consisting of 13 teams. We have also sponsored a football league of 12 teams in Idlib. We have fields, we have parks, we have a medical office that offers medical services and free medication for all citizens. The conclusion of all of this is that we as a nation or as a province of Idlib, we were able to change. We became people capable of self-reliance. We now possess organizations for civil society. We now have initiatives. We now have movement. We are no longer like we used to be before. We are no longer a herd with a shepherd leading us however they wish. We are no longer that. Everyone now shows initiative and everyone gives an idea. The idea then evolves into tangible outcomes that are born into reality. They are felt and the people see them and move throughout their concepts. What I want to say is that when you believe in your abilities, reconcile with yourself, believe in your nation and reconcile with the people, and reject all regimes, dictatorships and tyrannies that were there, only then you become human. Simply, you change from an animal to a human being. Despite all the death that occurred, despite all the bloodshed, despite all the pain and displacement, we have evolved into human beings. We now are conscious of our existence. The result? I am a human being and I am living.
I am no longer that being that eats, drinks, and sleeps, and at the end perishes without a trace. Now every one of us is capable of living beyond their death for a period I don't know how long. The revolution started in 2011, and we believed that it was a revolution to take down a regime because it tormented us. But little by little, with more awareness and improved perception, we realized exactly where we were heading, and we realized exactly what we wanted. We realized that there wasn't just one Assad at the head of the regime, but he raised in each of us a small Assad, a small Assad that existed within us. As soon as we open a window for it, it grows, it takes over you and controls you completely. So the main idea was how we are to rid ourselves of this Assad that is within us, knowing very well that we are capable of doing so. Assad retaliated with violence, retaliated with murder, and tried to convince the universe in its entirety that this country does not exist without Assad. The proof is that they used to call the country Assad Syria. He duped the people outside and the people inside with the idea that only he can run this country. And this place will not move without Assad. On the contrary, we were able to prove to ourselves that this country runs better without Assad and without a dictator. This country will not move forward unless without an Assad. After all that happened in the past seven years, after all this awareness, after the expansion of our horizons, we truly understand what is happening inside and outside. The politics of the inside, the politics of the outside. A lot of things became apparent to us that we were blind to. This country will not move forward unless it rids itself of Assad. Rest in peace, Ra'ad Faris, and may the institutions of a free Arab world be built in your name. May we all work as diligently and sincerely as you did for freedom and for a strong, self-sustaining civil society. Ra'ad was a teacher to us, not by giving us lessons or lectures, but through what he did. A lot of the vision of Kawakibi Foundation is inspired by his work, and we hope to continue it. Last summer, we were working on a proposal for a project to build an Arabic online platform that promotes and educates on nonviolence the kind of principled and strategic nonviolent resistance which Ra'ad understood always wins in the end. That proposal was never submitted to any funder. Shortly after completing it, our friend Jamal Khashoggi was killed, sending us into a tailspin. But we'll put it online now, publicly. We will complete this work in Ra'ad's name. This week is also the 8th anniversary of the beginning of the Syrian uprising, and it's bittersweet, to say the least. On the one hand, untold suffering, immeasurable agony, Tragedy and destruction, millions homeless, probably over a million dead, and a country beyond a single generation's ability to fix. On the other hand, as Ra'ad Faris said, Syrians are no longer and will never again be reduced to mere animals on the Assad family farm. The world might consider Assad to have won, an idea which we discussed at length in our last episode, but the Syrian revolution will only die when the name of Ra'ad Faris and the ideas he stood for are forgotten, and that won't happen on our watch. There's a video version of this episode on our website, arabtyrantmanual.com. Please share it and this episode to make sure more people know who Ra'ad was. If you want to support a small NGO trying to build a vision inspired by Ra'ad's work, 
you can support our Kawakibi Foundation on Patreon, patreon.com slash The link is in the description. Thanks to Sana and Khulud for editing, Stirk Janssen for video footage, Ali Samarai for the voiceover, and the Oslo Freedom Forum for facilitating the conversation along with so many others. The Arab Tyrant Manual podcast is a project of Kawakibi Foundation. Thank you.